Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome everybody to episode 25 of Push Dose EMS, your monthly educational offering from the Milwaukee County Office of Emergency Management. My name is Jeff Matcher. I'll be your host today. I am the clinical education and QA manager for the county. Uh, joining me, I would normally say the usual cast uh, suspect, but we have a slight change to the group. Uh, so on my list, uh, as that we all know and love, our system medical director, Dr. Ben Weston. Dr. Weston, good morning. Thanks, Jeff. Glad to be here. EMS Division Director Dan Pojar couldn't be with us today, but he sends his regards and we'll fill in his updates in just a moment. But I do have the pleasure of welcoming our two new uh, EMS fellows for this year uh, to the podcast. We have uh, Dr. Aaron McGlynn. Uh, Dr. McGlynn, welcome. I'll give you a moment just to tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Thanks, Jeff. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the new EMS fellows. I'm originally from Wisconsin, went to medical school at UW in Madison, just finished my emergency medicine residency in Detroit, and happy to be back in Wisconsin working with you all. Thanks, Dr. McGlynn. We're glad to have you, and we look forward to working with you throughout the next year. And uh, really last but not least, uh, our second fellow with us this year, uh, Dr. Nick Wiklinski. Dr. Wiklinski, welcome. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks very much. And expert pronunciation of that name there. I know it's not easy. <laughs> Good to be here this morning with you all. Um, my name is Nick. I'm the other EMS fellow. Um, originally from Wisconsin here as well. Grew up in Sheboygan. Did Went to an undergrad in uh, Madison. Did med school here at MCW. And then did my residency down in Chicago, where I've done a little bit of work with CFD there. It's like part of my EMS experience. But now coming back here to work with you all at uh, MCW and excited to be back. So thanks for having me. Thanks, Dr. Wiklinski, and welcome. Uh, and as per usual, before we dive into our topic of the month, uh, we'll do a couple little updates. So from medical direction, Dr. Weston, any updates for us? All right. Thanks, Jeff. Hello again. Yeah, a few updates. So uh, first of all, just to, to welcome our fellows uh, and say farewell to our previous fellows, Dr. Rendovich and Drazich, who have moved on to uh, exciting careers in the neighboring states of Minnesota and Illinois, combining their emergency medicine practice with leadership opportunities in EMS. So we're excited for them. And at the same time, uh, we're also excited to welcome Dr. McClin and Dr. Wiklinski to our fellowship. So as a reminder, uh, our fellowship is a one-year fellowship, typically with two fellows at a time. Uh, and so fellows have completed their emergency medicine residency. They're done with training uh, in emergency medicine. They're fully board eligible emergency medicine physicians that could go and work at any emergency department in the country, uh, but they choose to do one additional year of training specifically in EMS. So they still work in emergency medicine in our emergency departments, uh, but you'll also see them in our uh, various departments doing ride-alongs, doing quality oversight, education, and all the other things that go along with medical direction. So we're excited to have them on board uh, and you'll hear much more from them in just a minute. Uh, other updates, our infectious disease corner of updates is uh, seemingly ever expanding. On the COVID front, we remain in high transmission uh, community level. So there's lots and lots of cases out there um, and a stable but fairly uh, higher level of hospitalization. So uh, remain cautious, keep an eye on that numbered notice um, and, uh, and keep yourself and your patients safe. Uh, and then monkeypox, that's actually gonna be our topic of the podcast today. Um, but right now we have over 11,000 cases. Um, that is going to date itself real quick because cases are rising so fast, but over 11,000 cases in the U.S. So Dr. McGlynn and Wiklinski are going to talk about 
all sorts of things that that you need and should know about monkeypox. The the little bit of history, uh, the dynamics, the spread of disease, uh, and also the stigma that uh, should not, but is too often being associated with monkeypox. So we'll have a uh, concise but wide-ranging conversation on that. Uh, otherwise, lots going on in OEM. Uh, we have positive changes uh, to the electronic patient care record. We have departments moving from BLS to ALS, uh, some exciting ET3 initiatives going on, several studies on the horizon. So uh, exciting times as we work, as always, to improve the health of all our patients uh, and our communities. So with that, I will thank you and hand it back to Jeff. Thanks, Dr. Weston. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Dr. Podra couldn't be with us today. I uh, did pass along a couple things. Just a reminder, we do have a study and a QA project upcoming that education has been out for about a month now, uh, at least a few weeks. We would really appreciate if you would prioritize completion of those educational offerings just to get you up to speed on all the things that are coming your way. But that's about it from the office. We can make our expedited transition then into our topic of the day, as Dr. Weston alluded to. Uh, the discussion really is going to revolve around monkeypox. And with that, I will turn it over to Dr. McGlynn and McClinsky. Docs, have at it. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Um, so as we've discussed here, we're going to talk about monkeypox. I'm sure you've heard a lot about this in the news and social media lately. We do have some confirmed cases in the Milwaukee area, so definitely something you'll be hearing more about. So we wanted to take some time to give a little bit of a rundown on monkeypox. What is it? Where did it come from? What do I look for, et cetera? So let's dive in. We'll start with what exactly is monkeypox. So this is a virus in the pox virus family. Other viruses you may have heard of in this group are smallpox, which is definitely a scary one to think about, but has been eradicated. And something else called molluscum contagiosum, which has a scary name, but is a common and benign skin finding often seen in kids. The virus was first isolated from monkeys in the 1950s, as the name suggests, but was not actually seen in humans until the 1970s. It's actually seen in a lot of other animals like squirrels, rats, and mice, but we just discovered it first in monkeys, which is how it's got its name. Transmission from animals to humans has traditionally been through scratch, bite, or direct contact with the rash itself, or if fluid from the rash gets onto any surfaces or fomites, which we'll talk about again in a few minutes. Prior to this current outbreak, this was mostly endemic in West and Central Africa and has been linked to travel in those regions. In the five years leading up to the current outbreak, there were actually only eight confirmed cases outside of Africa, all of which were linked to recent travel in Nigeria. Nigeria has had a resurgence of monkeypox that's been ongoing since 2017. There have only been a few human-to-human transmissions reported, two of which were family members that were simultaneously infected, and one in a healthcare worker that was infected from contaminated bed sheets of a patient with monkeypox. Only two of those eight cases were in the U.S. There are two strains of the monkeypox virus, a Central and West African strain. The currently circulating strain is the West African version, which is thought to be less severe than the Central African version. As to why this is occurring now, it's somewhat unclear. It may have been a mutation in the virus to be more transmissible between humans, maybe related to more frequent travel internationally. 
And additionally, people are no longer routinely vaccinated against smallpox, which did provide some protection against monkeypox. So we just have a generally more susceptible population. Yeah, so get diving into a little more about exactly how the monkeypox presents and what we should be on the lookout for. Um, so we'll start initially with uh, how it traditionally has presented, um, and then we'll kind of talk a little bit of how it's different from the current outbreak, as there are some subtle differences, but important to note. So traditionally, uh, the incubation period for monkeypox is about 21 days, meaning that if you come into contact with someone with monkeypox, you have about three weeks to kind of be on the lookout for symptoms to develop. Typically, there is a viral prodrome that kind of precedes the rash that we see with monkeypox. That prodrome consists of a fever, headache, myalgias, malaise, and maybe some mild lymph node swelling. Mainly, it kind of seems more like the common cold or COVID at that time. This stage is rarely contagious. Note that the current outbreak seems to have less prodromal symptoms. So most folks aren't really aware that they're sick until the next phase, which is the rash. Now, normally the rash occurs within one to four days of that fever or prodrome that we just discussed. Now, this is the contagious part, so that's why it's important to note. These lesions develop as little vesicles or blisters, and these are blisters contain the virus. Usually the rash evolves simultaneously, meaning the rash looks the same throughout the entire body. This is crucial to note as other rashes, such as chickenpox, have lesions at all sorts of different stages meaning some parts of the body may have new vesicles while others have scabs. While in monkeypox, the rash looks the same throughout the entire body. The face and hands seem to be the most involved. And that's also important to note because this is one of the few rashes that really kind of involve the palms or soles of the body. So that's why if you see someone with the rash like this, it's you know, monkeypox should be kind of on your radar. Once the rash develops, it can last anywhere from two to three weeks. So it's a decent amount of time to have to deal with this. Now when we compare this to the current outbreak, that viral prodrome we discussed is a little less common. Up to 42% of people don't have a prodrome and really only start to experience symptoms when the rash develops. And the rash in this most current variant seems to be more localized to certain areas such as the oral, genital, or anal regions. And it can even just be one single lesion. All that to say is that it's a little harder to identify um, and easier to mistake for other diseases. So let's talk a little bit more about the rash itself. So like Nick mentioned, the monkeypox rash will develop and evolve simultaneously throughout the body. It starts out as flat red bumps that turn into those fluid filled vesicles or blisters. Eventually these vesicles rupture and remember the fluid inside them is contagious and turn into small ulcers, which eventually scab over and fall off. The infectious period ends when all the scabs have fallen off and new skin has grown in over the top, typically by the end of the second week of infection. There may be some scarring left over from this rash as well. The most troublesome symptom of this disease is typically the appearance of the rash, which can also be painful. As it heals, it can also become itchy, sort of like chicken pox, but overall it's rarely life-threatening in the currently affected populations. There are some complications that are seen in higher risk patients, such as immunocompromised people and potentially children. Those complications include things like pneumonia, eye infections, and encephalitis. But again, these are rare and usually this is a self-limited infection. So now kind of moving on a little more into how it's transmitted uh, amongst the population. 
So the main mode of transmission is skin-to-skin contact. The virus that causes the rash in these vesicles, the, the virus lives within those vesicles. So if the fluid from those vesicles contacts the skin of another person, transmission is possible, especially if that fluid contacts a mucous membrane. Surface transmission can occur, as we kind of mentioned before, through via that fomites, meaning fluid from the vesicles ends up on a countertop somewhere, and then someone touches that countertop. This type of transmission is likely a little less rare, but thought to be possible. Respiratory droplets are thought to transmit as well. However, this seems to be only with prolonged face-to-face contact without a mask. This isn't COVID, where you can take a short elevator ride with someone and catch it through the air. We're talking about a much longer prolonged exposure. Now, all that said, it is important to remember that despite being around for a long time, this has been a fairly rare disease, but this outbreak is certainly different from what we've seen in the past. We are still learning and certainly will know more about in the coming weeks to months, more than we do now. Now, one thing we wanted to comment on is kind of the stigma surrounding this disease. Now, much of the discussion so far has largely centered around the men who have sex with men community and the risk factors surrounding that group. Certainly, when looking at the demographics around monkeypox, that has been a high-risk population. But to be clear, just because it starts in a given population does not mean it stays in that population, especially given the rate of transmission that we are seeing. There is nothing unique about the biology of the men who have sex with men community that makes them much more susceptible. It is just the group that has seen the most disease up until now, likely due to the social networks. The group most at risk currently is the MSM community with multiple sexual partners, and that multiple partners is key. Remember, monkeypox transmits via skin-to-skin contact. And given that sex involves a lot of skin-to-skin contact, we can see how the spread can occur if you have multiple partners. So we must be careful to walk the line of increased awareness among what is certainly a group seeing higher prevalence of disease versus stigmatizing a certain population that already faces a lot of stigma. So now let's talk about how to treat monkeypox. So the mainstays of treatment are primarily supportive care and isolation until resolution. There may be a role for antiviral treatments, especially in immunocompromised people or those developing those serious complications we mentioned, but there's no routine treatment recommendation at this point and the antivirals that may be used remain scarce at this time. The vaccine, however, is an evolving situation. There are two main vaccines that protect against monkeypox, both of which are FDA approved. Genios and ACAM2000 are the two vaccines. The supply of ACAM2000 is much larger, but unfortunately it's a less ideal vaccine, which requires scarification or sort of scarring of the skin when it's administered as well as an isolation period after administration. For that reason, the Genios vaccine is the vaccine of choice, but is currently in short supply. To address that supply issue, the FDA has recently authorized intradermal administration, which allows use of only one-fifth of the traditional dose, thereby allowing five times as many people to be vaccinated with what was previously a single dose. Intradermal, remember, is making a skin bleb between the layers of skin rather than subcutaneous, which is just under the skin, like a TB skin test, or intramuscular, which is into the muscle, like a traditional vaccine such as tetanus or COVID. The groups currently eligible in Wisconsin for the vaccine include people who know that a sexual partner in the last 14 days was diagnosed with monkeypox, 
people who attended an event or venue where there was known monkeypox exposure, and men who have sex with men who have had multiple sexual partners in the last 14 days. Again, the vaccine distribution is currently evolving. At the moment, it's limited to those currently at higher risk that we just mentioned, but this will likely change in the future as vaccine availability increases. You can also check 211 for more info on vaccines in our area. So kind of moving on then to what should we do if we come into contact, if we think um, someone has monkeypox. And the real key there is our favorite acronym over these past couple of years, PPE. Um, it's similar to COVID. You want, want to make sure you wear a gown and always wear an N95 or KN95 if there's concern for monkeypox in a patient. You want to make sure you mask the patient. And if they have visible lesions, you want to try to cover those with a sheet or blanket, obviously within reason. Meaning like if the rash is predominantly on the face, it's probably best to leave that uncovered. You really don't want to add asphyxia to the problem list of this patient. Ensure you utilize the EMS communications. If you're transporting a patient you're concerned has monkeypox, so that way the receiving hospital has time to kind of get ready and is notified of this um, risk. Following the case, make sure you contact department leadership for guidance on notification protocols. Meaning like if you need to contact the health department, what types of tracking type things do you need to do for tracking your symptoms, et cetera. Regarding testing, that landscape is evolving and expanding um, at this time. But if you have concern for monkeypox, call your healthcare provider or local health department to get more information. Also outside of work, if you are concerned that you may have been exposed to monkeypox, or if you're concerned you're exposed on the job, Again, contact your healthcare provider if you're concerned and they can help work through the proper precautions to take. All right, so that was a lot to cover, but hopefully we were able to give you a general overview of this monkeypox um, evolving landscape, kind of what to look for and kind of how to you know, approach a patient with it. As always with any evolving disease, there are bound to be changes that will arise when it comes to testing, treatment, vaccination, and isolation. Given the dynamic nature of this outbreak, it is crucial to be aware of local, state, and national guidance. The Department of Health Services and the CDC are key sources of information, and we'll, we will work to keep you informed as changes arise. As always, please reach out should you have any questions, concerns, or comments on the information presented in today's episode. As always, thanks so much for what you do, and stay safe. Thanks, Docs. A lot of really good information there. A great way to help try to keep our providers safe and healthy and out there doing their jobs to the best of their ability. I appreciate everybody that was able to join us today. As always, if there's questions, comments, uh, ideas for future podcast episodes, please feel free to email those to emseducation at milwaukeecountywi.gov. And we will get those addressed to the best of our ability. Thanks once again for listening. Stay safe and have a great rest of your day.